You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. something I wanted to bring up two weeks ago and I forgot and if I don't bring it up now I'll never get a chance to bring it up again. Are we introducing ourselves? We'll introduce ourselves afterwards. My god. Okay carry on. Eager. Yeah and obviously a novice. We've done this before. Oh okay okay. Start again. No I'm not going to start again and edit that out. Okay. If I don't bring it up now it'll be too late. And for anybody who downloads this and doesn't listen to it for a few days, it's going to be too late anyway. But it's Europe. And I just want to say that something that is that important and fundamental and complicated is not really, in my opinion, the kind of thing that should be left to the average man on the street. Because the thing that I have seen most of on my Facebook and on Twitter and everywhere else, has not been, I'm voting this way or I'm voting that way, but I don't really understand what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And thus, my decision when it comes to voting will be an uninformed one. Mm. So, all I have to say on the subject is that I personally judge my MP, who I voted for, and the leader of his party as people who are far more qualified to understand this subject than I do. So I will be voting the way that they vote. But I will recommend that everybody who's listening to this comes to a decision and goes out and votes. Because the worst thing that could possibly happen is six months or two years or a decade down the line everybody's sitting there moaning about what the decision the country reached was when only 15% of the country voted. Mm. If you didn't vote, you can't complain about it. Does anybody have anything they want to add? My my concern is that I've only seen one type of poster, which suggests there's one certain type of voter. Oh, when you said poster, I thought you meant like with Luke and oh, yeah. Han and Leia. And oh, yeah, oh, very good. Um... I mean, certainly travelling into Cornwall, there's one been one certain dirty, great, big red poster. Very angry. Very... I hate to use the word extreme, but on the outer edges of that kind of opinion, which suggests that they're the ones who are the most motivated to vote. Therefore, people with a bit of common sense and a bit of level-headedness, as you've just said, please go out and vote. Because yeah. the thing is, if you're voting to not change things mm. you're far more likely not to bother than Absolutely. if you're voting to change things my, yes. my view is I'd much rather people vote if they're going to vote to not change things so for this, <laughs> this, this <laughs> on this one occasion I'd, I'd advocate voter apathy if you're voting to leave the EU 
Yeah. Because it's so patently the wrong the wrong decision. I don't I don't think we should have had the referendum. I think the referendum was forced on us by mm. an increasing right wing right wing system in the country. So I disagree with the referendum, but now we've got it. Mm. Then it's not like a general election. Like a general a general election everyone should vote because it's actually less important because you get mm. a party for 5 years and generally speaking each party has moderate wings and further, well, and further yeah. extreme wings and they balance each other out this so is something so that's going to be for generations yeah. I'm following what my brother tells me to do because mm. he's the smart one in the family and he's advocating remain eventually so one, one thing I'd like to clarify I, I saw some you get a hard time on Facebook from someone when you said about your opinion well, which is that people you know yeah. people aren't as, as JR said people aren't educated enough and understanding of the of the issues involved mm. you know, not qualified the bottom line yeah. somebody immediately attacked you and said um oh this is typical of saying that people are too stupid to vote well if actually, we and, leave, and that isn't actually, what you were saying at actually, all I, I posted one thing on my by myself on facebook which had no criticism which is a sign of the people that I'm friends with on Facebook. Mm. Or oh, it's because but, you accidentally gave it a privacy setting that meant nobody could see potentially. it. Potentially. <laughs> yeah. um, but the the comments I got were mainly from when, because I disagreed with Lee slightly, because Lee put up a post that said, this is our remember to vote because we've been given this privilege of voting. This yeah. is a great honour. Mm. And actually, this isn't a great honour or a privilege. This is a really dangerous thing to be allowed to vote mm. on. The thing about you, Lee is... You don't, you don't get to vote about the way nuclear power stations are constructed because we none of us here knows how best to construct nuclear power. You leave that to the nuclear engineers. Mr Analogy, you don't, you don't hire... You choose a mechanic to look after your car. You yeah, trust your yeah, mechanic. Yeah, yeah, you don't absolutely. expect your mechanic to phone you up yeah. halfway through fixing your car saying, yeah. how do you think I should do this? And for, for well, me, that's it. You elect a government to you know, govern the country. Yeah. And yeah. the government listens to... The government has lobbyists who are scientists, academics, businessmen. Mm. So they're the experts, civil servants, the military. They're the experts and the politicians are the experts as well because they have access to all this information. Mm. We don't. I have no idea which way is best to vote. I'm looking at um, which experts have told me is best to vote. And I know that every previous prime minister who's still alive is telling me that I should vote to remain. Mm. Most academic, In fact, my job relies on remaining in the EU. So all university staff should be voting to remain. All university administrators, all academics should be voting for remain. Most of the military is voting for remain because of security reasons. Mm. Civil servants will vote for remain. And if you want to get it down to the brass tacks of it, if we leave the EU, the relative cost of living for the average man on the street will go up. So, I mean, if you <laughs> don't want to have less money in your pocket, you yeah. vote to stay. Another thing, you go with your but hunch. I wasn't going to get political with <laughs> this. No, 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 but if you go with I your see. hunch, these these little carrots that are being dangled about the money that they're going to get back, they, they can then they could put into the NHS. Or I think I heard today that they're promising to put money into the NHS. It doesn't say in what form mm. yeah. or, or what exactly they're going to do with that money. Yeah. Uh, and you've only got to look at the people, the figureheads of this campaign. You just think, well, you know, where exactly do the thing yeah. they're going to get the money from? Because they have I don't, no idea. I don't what's Quite simply, it's a vote between staying the same yep. or changing. So it's up to the changing people to explain why it's going to be better, and all they can do is explain why it won't be worse, hmm. which isn't enough no. to vote change. 
Yeah. Anyway, yeah. this was supposed to be 30 <laughs> seconds at the start of the podcast <laughs> because this podcast, most people are going to hear after the referendum's mm. taken place. Yeah, when we're screwed. <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt. Hello, I'm Simon. Hi, I'm Tim. And I'm JR. And yes, okay, that was supposed to... We were hoping to get through this a lot quicker tonight. Yeah. This is not going to happen, is it? Yes, you heard right. There's a special guest in the room. <laughs> Least special guest ever. Well, he okay, he's a guest and he's a bit special. That'll do. <laughs> Thank you very much. <clears throat> he's Tim. Tim Gambrel. And the reason he's here with us tonight is because he's written in a couple of the You and Who books. He knows us all on Facebook. Vitally, he lives in Exeter. And so I thought I'd grab him along. Is it Gambrel or Gambrel? I'll, is this double L? I'll answer to either. Uh, <laughs> but, but historically, we've we've always flattened it so that it's Gambrel. English, you see, not European. He'll English, answer, a bit like Cyberman. Oh, no, no, no. He'll answer to one, like but that. punch you in the face with the other one. It's a two-syllable word. To work out which. Okay. Yeah. Go through some two-syllable words in English in your head and say them out loud. No, <laughs> that's a one-syllable Anglo-Saxon word. The flavour. Flavour. In Flavor. England, we tend to emphasise the first syllable of two-syllable words. Mm. And in France, they tend to emphasise the second syllable of two-syllable words. <laughs> so in England, he'd be gambrel, mm. and in France, he'd be gambrel. Okay. The, the analogy I normally use is um, when, when they made carry-on teacher... Um, <laughs> Leslie Phillips. Not carry on teacher. Yeah, no, Le- Le- Leslie Phillips. Oh, hello. Um, exactly. He was told when he was addressing Joan Sims' character, Miss Alcock, he was told that he wasn't allowed to emphasise either the first syllable or the second syllable. Okay. So he just had to try and make the name as flat as possible. And that's uh, so, yeah. yeah. But don't call me Miss Alcock. It's, no, it's, no it's we'll like, call you Miss Alcock. But it's, just, wish, it's, it's just like Mark as well, presumably. Well, oh, yeah, you wouldn't yeah, yeah. say cock ram, would you? Cock ram. I do. Well, you wouldn't say you wouldn't say <laughs> cock ram. Cock ram. You say cock ram. Yeah, so, cock yeah. yeah, okay. Cock ram. Got it. Cock ram. Gambrel. Because otherwise you have cock ram. Yeah, but who's double M? Cock ram. Christ's sakes, we're ten minutes in. <laughs> We've not started. Let's start. Let's. We are going to be discussing later. Much, much later. Chris Chibnall's two parts Halloween story for series five. We're back on the series five after skipping a week to talk about Barry Letts and Terence Dicks. We have another email. Well, I say we have another email from David Kitchen. This was a private email to me, but I emailed him back and said, sod you, I'm reading it out. So, uh, <laughs> but he brings up a couple of points. That DJ, I think are DJR, so- the time we spent in Perth. <laughs> we have so, We're so much special other stuff. to me. Okay, we've got other stuff, but let's... uh, Okay, here's one thing that happened on Twitter. This is really, really brief. Mm. Okay, I promise it's brief. I had a brief discussion with somebody on Twitter called Stephen B, who goes by Steed underscore Stylin. Mm -hmm. Of course, you could say Steed Stylin, but I think Steed underscore Stylin is kind of more stylish. Mm. And we had a brief conversation. He was asking me... I tweeted out something about something, I think it was one of our podcasts, and he was asking me a couple of questions, and we had a conversation, and the conversation essentially came down to, because I think it was the Series 8 podcast, 
we were talking about what is standard Doctor Who. And so my thought process went on to what is paradigm Doctor Who. Has there ever been a season or an era of Doctor Who that is a paradigm for how the series works? And obviously it's not the Pertwee years because set on Earth and unit. So rather than go into that discussion now, I thought that might actually be an interesting topic for a podcast in and of itself. Mm. Yeah, easily. Right. Okay, we're going to be doing a podcast after we finish Series 5 because Series 5 has taken us about three months so far (laughs) and there's still a few weeks left to go. We'll do a podcast on Paradigm Doctor Who. In the meantime, let's get into the Hungry Earth and we'll save David Kitchen for later if we have time, shall we? Okay. Anthony Morin, who's also known as Weird Bean, says, Well, the remake of the Silurians... Great first half and a watchable second half. Steve Herr says, ignore the meeting around the table and you have a credible reworking of Pertwee's 1970s adventure. Rob Irwin says, gave off a very Pertwee vibe in the first episode, but sort of fell apart in the second. Not a great pair of episodes, but the reimagined adversaries look great. David Kitchen, not the last time we'll be hearing from him tonight says a great part one let down by a cliched part two but my all-time favorite story is the silurians so this was never going to do that love justice kieran hyman says the reason i'm writing to you guys is to remind you that silurians have three eyes great story though and dylan reese says not a bad script but let down by the direction supporting cast and the god awful sets there's some nice stuff in the graveyard late in episode one but the silurian base looks more season 25 than series five. Oh, and brendan day says now this ticks many of my boxes as i liked it first time around when pertwee was the good doctor but coming to this story without this prior knowledge there is still much to admire the interplay between characters gives me hope for the Chibnall era, and the creature design is superb. I think the main faults with this story are in its flat direction. The story seems to drift in parts when it should be tension-filled, and some of the sets could have been better realised. Or was this an homage to its 1970s siblings? Okay, a quick round the table. We'll start with you, Tim, as you're the special guest. Special guest. Um... First question is, yes. what did you think of it when you saw it on broadcast? Um, I enjoyed it, but what I what I recall very distinctly feeling was that it was it had a, quite a torchwood vibe. I thought I I personally felt it was a very torchwood, uh, certainly the first episode, um, uh, in the way that it was uh, quite restricted in its uh, setting, um, very small cast. Uh, quite intimate in the way that the uh, relationships were uh, developed. Um, obviously just getting down to the, the personal the personal um, uh, aspects. And, uh, but yeah, so I, I enjoyed it, but I felt it was at odds with the rest of the series up to that point. Matt's nodding, so... I, I nodded at the Torchwood Fives because, well, Chip, because of Chris Chipnall. Um, and I agree, and I didn't see the point of the dome at the time or or now. <laughs> well, my my view is there were lots of elements which which I didn't quite understand, but the dome mm. the dome bit sort of restricted it, 
and it really didn't need restricting. You just explained that it's an isolated village. Yeah. And it takes place in a contracted time. Yeah. But it was cool. Um, I don't yeah. know whether the dome was just so that they could do stuff in the dark when it was set in the daytime. Um, possibly. Yeah, it's that seems clumsy. a bit of a stretch, though, really, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, just I mean, it's it's a it's a standard Pertwee. It's a good Pertwee idea. So it's, mm. it's straight from the demons, which is straight from John Wyndham. But you know, yeah, it's just just unnecessary. In this it's there purely for effect, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. it, it serves no narrative yeah. purpose beyond that. It just would, yeah, it would just just perhaps serve the narrative purpose if it had been four or five episodes long. Yeah, but. And you could, uh, and if there'd been a real need for them to get beyond that for some particular reason, like yes, yeah, to get help from Mm -hmm. Sergeant Osgood and his machine. (laughs) All right, Simon and I are going home at this juncture. (laughs) (laughs) Simon, what did you think on broadcast? On broadcast, I was quite nonplussed by it. I hated it. There was a lot of stuff. I just thought, why? Why have they done that? Or it was disappointing that the helmets were not the real face. And I thought, well, why would they even do that? I understand that they want acting kind of draconian acting faces and that and the makeup is is outstanding but it kind of it was, it was just disappointing that we weren't getting the old Silurians back and it had to be this different faction um, and, and just in general it felt like a bit of a flat flat story really all we've done before and you know yeah and lots of things seem to be going on that didn't seem to follow from one another mm. Yeah. That was my takeaway from it on the first time. Yeah, dialogue's a little bit flat, and I didn't hate it on first. I think I was not. I was always having a real problem with series five though at this point, and right. so this just seemed to compound everything that I was already feeling. I found it quite comforting in the middle of series five because I'd been quite because Amy's choice was quite a, an out there episode. This was... felt like a real throwback to RTD after Amy's choice. Yeah, I mean, it felt like it didn't. It didn't. It lacked the humour of the rest of the series as well. It didn't have the jokes. Mm. I think we we laughed at one thing, which was the squeaky bum time mm. yeah. bit in that last yeah. episode. Probably because yeah. I've forgotten it. And, yeah. yeah, but but beyond that, I mean, Amy's choice. We were laughing at sort of one thing in every scene, mm. and mm. time of angels. We were laughing, so it was just Doctor Who with the laughters. Right, very <laughs> quickly then. <laughs> <laughs> very quickly then, Tim. When was the last time you watched it prior to watching it for this podcast? Oh, horrible story. Um, have you watched it since broadcast? Yes, I have watched it since broadcast. Um, it's been on because my uh, my three year old son likes to watch series five over and over again. Oh, wow, really? Uh, <laughs> no, he's not. He's not learnt his lesson yet. Um, so it's it's been on in the house quite a bit. Yeah, but, but series I've, five. Everybody seems to think that's Moffat's best series. I know, but it doesn't. It's never done it for me. I, no. I've always found it really disappointing. I'm waiting for. I, 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 I harked back to when I first watched it as well. Waiting for the series to do something that made me think, "Wow." Yeah, and waiting it, for and, the Stephen Moffat to kick yeah, in. Yeah, and it mm. and, and it didn't. But um, yeah. So I've I have watched it infrequently since it was since it was on. Well, I've watched the, I've watched it a couple of years ago, and completely reevaluated it. Has to be said, but we'll get to that. Matt, I watched it a couple of times when it was on, but I haven't seen it since. And Simon? I haven't seen it since. I, I, I'd made my mind up on it. Right, okay then, we'll stick with you then, Simon mm. and Matt. So what did you think of it now? I thoroughly enjoyed part one. Mm. And it felt... Um, it, it just it just felt like a, an adventure. 
And that, that sounds mm. weird to say that about Doctor Who, but it did just feel like it's straight down the line. I still got certain reservations about it. The fact that they were, supposedly they were burying down into the earth the furthest anyone had ever done before, and they, they were doing it in isolation with only about three people running it. <laughs> so kind of yeah, the scale that was of it the thing was, that really got me. Yeah, is I didn't mind seeing the night crew go home, or the day crew go home, mm. but then when the night crew was on and it was just one guy and the drill was still running. Yeah, and I'm like. No, surely they'd shut the drill down yeah, when everybody yeah, yeah. goes home. Loan mm. working procedures, health and safety. Yeah. And also, they yeah. presumably anticipate when the drill hit, they could work out when it was going to hit the, the deepest it had ever been. It's not going to be a surprise. They look at the computer and go, oh, wow. <laughs> quick, quick, it's about to hit it. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, oh, go on, so, sorry. So, yes, no, I, do, I, I still feel it's a game of two halves. So that, that first part is, well, no, well, don't still feel that originally I'd kind of written it off as well it's a... two completely oh. separate episodes really, yeah but it? part two I there's loads I I hadn't I think I just got so disinterested with part one that when I watched part two I only half took it in mm. so it was like watching it completely fresh and did you so then did you prefer part two no <laughs> so you still don't but like I don't, part I two I didn't mind part two I didn't mind part two it it kind of did what it needed to do wrap things up as it was going to uh, I think there were certain decisions, possibly in direction. Things like Amy looked disinterested when they were yeah. talking about the future, and I don't think it was meant to be that. I think she was supposed to be tired that they'd been talking so long because she immediately picked up. Well, I'm going to bring up an issue in a minute. Yeah, oh, but anyway, I've go got on. An Amy issue as well to bring up. Yeah, but I think it's well. the. I think it's more than just an. I think Amy is the worst we've seen her in this episode yeah. by some distance. Mm. But I think that's. I don't think that's the actress's fault. I think that's the director's fault. Mm. I think there's an issue with the direction in this. But we'll She's come back to that. She's bellowing her lines out. Yeah, and then just kind of the other points, just kind of talking mm. so flat. You just... Matt, go I on then. I agree with so I agree with Simon. I think the first episode I really liked... Makes a change it, from agreeing with me. Because <laughs> uh, the first episode was quite tightly, <laughs> tightly structured and it was in one place <clears> and... And I could see what they were... So my my view is, with the second episode, I could see it's what I thought they were going to do when they started it was tell the story of the first... Effectively tell the story of the first episode, but entirely from the Silurian's point of view. Oh, okay. So you've that's why you've got that flip. But then they start cutting between the humans and the Silurians, mm. and they kind of mess it up with Amy's crack and... Um, various things like that. I missed that bit. He always refers so, to it like that. So that's. But, I mean, we'll but, talk about but, it again. When it, that's literally tagged on the end, though. But but the idea of the idea of having two episodes: one humans, where the Silurians are the generic monsters; the second being Silurians, where the humans are generic monsters, which is what they could have done. Yeah. And that effectively, would be really good. That's what Chris Chibnall did with his great train robbery. Right. Where he did the first episode okay. from the yeah. robber's point of view and the second mm. episode from mm. the yeah. copper's yeah. point of view. And that would have provided quite a nice... But I think it was it was unbalanced for me because it didn't have this... That they, would they probably suddenly, have... And they started doing it because they started doing the sort of Silurian... Mm. Like, techno-babble about Silurian culture and they started bringing that and this weird voiceover... That's how the weird voiceover would have worked. It doesn't work no. with what they've got because it's just it's just out of place. It's, it's, it's what Malcolm Holt did in the uh, original novelisation of the Cairns. Yeah, yeah, as yeah, long yeah. As He told, yeah. effectively told a lot of the story from the um, Silurian's perspective. Yeah, mm. and I think it's trying to emulate that, but it I doesn't think, quite work. If I remember rightly, the voiceover was added much later. It wasn't right. in the original script. I could be wrong about that. 
It did also. It did feel tagged on though, didn't it? Well, mm. yeah, but I, I was. I think because it started with the voiceover, I, my my mind was immediately trying to work out how to make it integrated, and I think it mm. needed to be less human, more Silurian. But I think that's the reason why it's not integrated. Yeah, because yeah. Th- that episode existed, and they stuck mm. it on. Yeah, there's a lot of inconsistency. We 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 said um, I can't remember what we said while it was while it was playing, but it was to do with the dissection that. All oh, of a sudden, the scientist, one minute, he wants to dissect you. The next minute, he thinks that you're absolutely wonderful which, and looks after all the children. Which kind of oh, work? Uh, Malachi, yeah, he's uh, massively inconsistent. Mm. But, but, but that, kind, that would kind of work if, because it starts out with him as the generic monster approaching the human, yeah. and then he becomes basically the victim by the end. And that would work, except they flipped it too quickly and without enough. Mm. They, they did it clumsily, I think. Yeah, I just, he I might just, as well have said, "I'll oh, okay. see him flipping." I don't just, know. No, you yeah, see yeah, it from yeah. you see yeah. it from only from from the audience perspective. You don't yeah. see anything from his perspective. Yeah, yeah. you could yeah. condense that down to one line from him, which is, "It's okay. I only dissect the adults." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which kind of works. I disagree. Yeah, but which still would have left the doctors, "Oh, I love you." <laughs> yeah, just yeah. a bit odd. <laughs> I disagree with Dylan, though. Um, Dylan Reed, Dylan, who said that the sets were. Yeah, I was going yeah. to agree with that. I, I really liked the, the sets were fantastic. Great. Yeah. Mm. The set, I mean, there were a, there were a few dodgy sort of CG sets, but that's understandable. It was yeah, a really like brave thing tongue. to do, to do an entire underground civilization. There was but, a, there was lovely practical effects, wasn't there? All the makeup and all that sort of thing. Yeah. It looked and, lovely, and then this weird CGI tongue. Yeah, the CGI tongue was a little bit... Yeah, strange, that was because... But, it, in the first episode, particularly, it wasn't graded to match the background. Mm. So it's like a daylight tongue flicking yeah. through a nighttime scene. And it looks shocking. Oh, it's but, you, you and your erotic talk. But the, well, uh, you know. the conference the conference room in the second episode and the, 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 the suspended animation chambers, mm. they were really nicely shot. And mm. I thought they looked really Actually, good. Actually, the long shot on the conference room where you see the window yeah. and you see yeah. the artificial sun outside and what yeah. have you, yeah. that was gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Tim, then, have you yes. reevaluated this? Um, I have, in as much as I have picked up a lot of bits and bobs that I've, I missed the first time around. It's not made me appreciate the episodes anymore, I have to say. But, and this could come down to what you've said before about the direction and, and some of the performances. Um, I think it's also in the script, though. Po- I'll throw this po- in. Possibly, yes. I, I think Chris Chibnall's writing a writing an adventure story, mm. but I, just as with the dome that doesn't seem to do anything, this if you sit down and put all the elements one after the other, they don't add up and they don't go anywhere. Yeah. So it's like he's taken Malcolm Hulks and tried not to do it, but not been able not to do it. But um, uh, Nazarene's character, um, for example, uh, I I just don't I don't buy her character at any point. Yeah, uh, she's mm. and there's nothing against Mira Sayal at, at all. I don't I, I don't think it's anything against her. Possibly it's in the script, or possibly it's the direction, or possibly it's just the the. A combination of all three but for me she's someone on the screen who's saying lines in a slightly glib yeah. way yeah. and she's she's every time she speaks she pulls me out of of the of the action and she's not she doesn't really seem her, her responses aren't in keeping with everything else that's going on and 
I mentioned before Amy uh, niggles about Amy. That was what I was getting from from Karen Gillan as well. That she's saying things, and you think realistically that's not how someone should be reacting in under those circumstances. Mm. Even mm. if you've already been through eight or nine weeks of fantastic adventures with this amazing man in the box. Do you know what? It would have worked the same lines of dialogue if they'd have been delivered with a bit of uh, the kind of um, steel and nerve, as if to say, I'm saying these lines because I'm so worried about what's happening. But it just came across from those two actors as if they were just saying the lines because they thought they were in a comedy script. Mm, and, I, and it, it sticks out, and it just it is as it just dragged me out of the action. Also, you time. didn't you didn't get a sense of what they had in jeopardy. So the mother had the child, and the the husband down below. So she was she was basically performing it in the way presumably you want as the other people to. So a bit of sort of a bit of realistic emotion. But what are the emotions that Nazarene? And and Amy, what have they got to do? And of I course, mean, they should have been there because they're in this shocking situation yeah. that's full of surprise and danger. Mm. But neither of them really presents as if they're actually they're in their performance believing that. Yeah. It, yeah, that doesn't add to the scale. The scale, the scale of the story is massive. Mm. It really is. I mean, not yeah. just the size of the drill, but the size of the, the two species meeting up, and it's kind of played out like they're meeting in a shed yeah that was the real big issue with the second episode Mm. is really would you sit these two characters Nazarene and Amy across the table from the leader of the Silurians and expect them to come to an accord but that's that's part of the I mean that that was part of the point wasn't it yeah because there's a certain sort of that's what they said they said themselves was why would you choose us and they were just normal Mm. normal humans Mm. But they didn't sell it because those two characters didn't give you any indication that they believed any of what was going on themselves. I guess the problem was they couldn't show too much of the debate because effectively that's a really boring, no, I mean, they boring thing to show. So they couldn't sort of... What I mean they is they didn't sell that the Doctor would leave these two characters mm. at that table. Yeah. If, I mean, given what everybody else was doing and what was going on, you'd leave the granddad at the table it was really nice really nice just thinking of it now is to swap over Amy and Rory so Rory's down there doing all that and he's doing all the speaking and then his death means it was the best thing in this episode Mm. actually I think but also he'd spoken for the humans at the top so he'd already been involved in the negotiation the hostage negotiation Okay. so he'd had that couldn't Amy have done that yeah but what he means is perhaps swap Amy and Rory throughout the entire story so he disappears at the end of the start yeah potentially that's easy to say afterwards yeah. Well, yeah, but it's only because of the performances that we're thinking that. In mm. the script, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's only the performances that lead you to want to switch those two actors. They over. also couldn't use the granddad as one of the negotiators because he had something personal at stake because he still had his grandson. Yes, but captive, I'm so... not talking about in plot terms because in plot oh, okay. terms, I think it's fine. I'm yeah. talking about in the performance that the actors are giving. Robert Pugh is... Is incredible. He impressed me at the time. I remember thinking that it was a very, very strong performance from him. Mm. And again, watching it now, there's with with very little, he mm. sells so much to the viewer. Mm. Mm. Um, and I, I, I yeah, I, I, I thought he was. I thought he was uh, excellent. 
Excellent. And and the other thing that really annoyed me watching it this time was the the um, the it's almost that the narrative forgets that he's got the sting because mm-hmm. there were times when it should have been brought up and it wasn't. And I think this is if you're in a situation where you're like negotiating with the Silurians, for example. Um, uh, or trying to apologise for the death of a layer, hmm. you've got a perfectly good uh, you've got a perfectly good reason not to necessarily to justify it, but to, but to show why you may have been acting in um, self defence there, hmm. and that it was completely ignored until they were uh, away in the control room. I think it probably for me end. falls into the the bag of too many elements thrown into the, yeah, I wrote, yeah, even yeah, though it was, it was a really small cast. It almost felt like there were too many, too, too many of too, them. Yeah, well, yeah, well, and too many, too many little ideas. Yeah, yeah, all, all, yeah, all blowing around so. in a little but, but, tombola. But in that second, but just in that second episode, it's strange how I think in the first episode, it was very tight and and it was building towards mm. a pretty, a pretty good, cool cliffhanger. I think it's what Chris Chibnall does really well is that small cast mm. who something happens to and you watch how the characters either disintegrate or pull together. It's what Broadchurch is entirely based on, a small cast of people who live in a small town on the coast. Something terrible happens, and you watch some of the relationships tearing themselves apart, and some of the people coming much closer together as you know they try and work their way towards a resolution. And this is... And this is for me what his Doctor Who's going to be because I think he does it in everything. He does it in Torchwood. He does it in all of his Doctor Who episodes. He does it in Broadchurch. He did he it in United. He does it everywhere. It's what he does. This is what his Doctor Who's going to be. And he, I think he does it really well in the first episode here. But the second episode, I think it was a mistake to go down the Pertwee, Silurians, let's find an accord route. It doesn't work. I think if the second episode, I think the bits of the second episode that work really well, apart from some pretty flat direction and mm. some pretty poor performances, are the bits where Amy and the kid's father are investigating to find the kid, they're going to get dissected, all this kind of stuff. I think all that basically works. And I think the stuff when the talks about the accord breaks down because the dead Silurians brought down and then you have kind of a Silurian rebellion and the tension builds up. I think that essentially works. I think what the story really needed to do is instead of going to the big conversation in the middle where the episode basically stops dead Does, for about it? 10 yeah, minutes right. before picking up I again. Guess, right. I guess there's yeah. I guess the, the, the dilemma they've got is they have the accord, they have the debate which is kind of which is kind of the heart of the episode. That's the moral heart of the episode. But you need the drama as well, which is where the kid comes in. Yeah. And the and balance it, is the wrong it does, way around. It doesn't balance. But if you take away the debate entirely, you've just got drama and you've just got a generic. Yeah. What but if you, you keep the done? debate and expand it, then you've got an episode which is just talk, which won't work. Well, the kid mm. is basically a MacGuffin in the second episode. They find him, he's in some kind of stasis, they need to get him released. And finding him and getting him released are both done way too quickly and easily. Mm. I think, I don't know, it's easy to say in hindsight, I think maybe as a story it would have worked better if actually the first half of the episode had been them looking for the kid Mm. and getting involved in japes and jeopardy as they're looking for the kid. And then the second half of the episode is them trying to get the kid free. And I think if you'd have had kind of a backstory of the Doctor saying, 
no, we should all get together and talk. And everybody says, what are you talking about? You're ridiculous. And through the episode, he's persuading people so that by the time you get to the end of the episode, they're ready to sit down and talk. But before they can sit down and talk, then you get the rebellion from Alea's sister, whatever it is. So you skip the horrible bit where the episode stops dead for 10 minutes. You still get all the same story elements, but the balance is slightly different and it just keeps the momentum up. And so it keeps the... Because they sit down to talk 15 minutes into a 45-minute episode. That needs to be something they're building towards. And then it needs to be pulled away from them right at the very last minute, just as Rory is. What would have been more interesting, because you say that the kid's a MacGuffin, and that's that's right, would be more interested in making... If the kid was made the centre of the story, the solution... That's what I'm saying, yeah. And it actually revolved around him, and maybe he was the one that ended up in suspended animation, which would Mm -hmm. would be a really dark ending. But it would be a bit like uh, Children of Earth. But it would be an ending that made sense. Yeah, yeah. And or, I I half expected the kid to come up with the solution at Mm. the end, which I was sort of half dreading because that's quite a cliche. That's the sort of, that's the thing that happened. Isn't it happened in school reunions? But the reason cliches are cliches is because they work. But instead, as you say, the kid's there as, as this kind of tool, not... Nothing slang terms, nothing, yeah. Just, just as a sort of a, <laughs> yeah, harsh. a bargaining yeah, chip to start with, and then he's just tagging on. What it really needed really was kill the kid. <laughs> <laughs> what it really needed really was something that needed solving as opposed to resolving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like most adventure stories, there is a MacGuffin, and at some point in the story, you have to do something with or about the MacGuffin in order to solve the plot so that you can get to the resolution of the story so the kid really needed to be something that needed solving in some way but because it's just like oh nice lizard lets him out but it's it's the same it's obvious I think about half halfway through if not uh, earlier than that in the second episode that it's just going down the same route that the previous three Silurian stories, stories did, yeah. The, so you get to a point where uh, they possibly uh, can agree a piece, something happens, it all goes horribly wrong, and then they have to, they sort of hurriedly try to patch as much up as they can at, at the end. And I, th- I, I thought that was disappointing. But I think that's well. fine, because 99% of that audience aren't aware of the Silurians or and, the Sea Devils. Yeah, mm-hmm. No, no, I, yeah. And also, also it flips the original on its head as well. So the original was a small group of Silurians and human military. This is a small group of humans and Silurian military. military. And actually the resolution is a more positive, at least it's a more positive one. than. Mm. But you've still still got the old Silurian who's the one that's that's looking for peace and the the young firebrand. So the the, the message is... The message is the same, but I suppose it's a good... It's quite an eternal message that wisdom and... And old people tend to well go back more to, knowledge. Go back Speaking to how which, this episode yeah. came in. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> go back to how this episode came in. Hey, you don't get to resolve anything if you're not sitting at the table. If you're sitting outside the room looking in through the window, yeah. other people are solving things. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was mm-hmm. a, bit, it's a bit Yoda-like. <laughs> <laughs> but they call me the Gallifreyan Yoda. Who does? <laughs> it's just a nickname. That's, <laughs> that's not. That's not what they call you on the internet, Jr. You just. You well, I know they call yourself. me other things on the internet as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> Twatties. 
let, let's talk about something really mundane. The design of the Silurians. Uh, the, one of the big issues when this story yeah. came out was people moaning that they ditched the original design. They, which they didn't ditch entirely. Mm. I mean, they didn't just so, sort of say, let's get rid of the original design. They tried the original design. They couldn't find a way to make it work. So they came up with something that Oh, did. is that how it worked? Oh, okay. Yeah, they, okay, they just... went for the original design originally. Couldn't oh. find a... I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I don't I'm... know whether they got as far as prosthetics of the original yeah. design, but they had lots of designs of the original design. And they... what, I, what I noticed this time that I, ha- I hadn't noticed before, and I know it's possibly the quality of your television. No, I'm not sure. But um, <laughs> with uh, Malachi, there were certain camera angles where it, he, he his lips um, looked like they'd been made up a little bit more so that they were a little more sort of uh, old Solarian pouty. Tube-like. Yes, pouty. Yeah, oh. pucker up. Kissable. Um, and I wondered if that was a bit of a nod to um, the Possibly, uh, yeah. original se- series. Um, but that was something that just occurred to me this evening, watching it. But well, what did you think of the design in general? Um, I I really liked it, and I still I still like it. Um, I I like the fact that you've got the the, the face plate Facing, that comes yeah. off, so that it looks like it's it looks like it's a a, t- a typical reptile, and then it becomes a more humanoid reptile. Um, from a performance, just to break in before you go on, yes. the reason why you've got the face plates is so that they don't have to make, make so many yeah, masks. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I, I I remember at the time thinking, okay, face masks, small cast. Um, they're watching the budget. Yeah, on, yeah, yeah. On this, well, the budget for series five was way down on what RTD had had. Really? Oh, yeah, that, explain, that explains it. But um, from a performance perspective, uh, it offers the actors so much more flexibility, and I think these days the the viewer expectation is 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 increased. And I um, I always bring to mind um, the reveal of the Ice Warrior at the end of Cold War. Um, because I, when that, when the CG Ice Warrior was revealed underneath the helmet, I thought that looks horribly CG. I want to see a man in a rubber mask. Mm, yeah. That's crying out for a man in a rubber. Oh, uh, sorry, a performer in a rubber mask. Why have you done that horrible CG mm. thing? And um, and I, uh, I really like what the the, the the way they did the Solarians this time because it avoided the, ne- the, the necessity. Acid, to the acid test it. is. It it gave rise to Madame Vastra, yeah, who's a who's an actual character, yeah. who's distinctive and can emote yeah. and has legs. And she's sort of a she sustainable does. character. Fantastic. And voice. and the <laughs> and the I liked it. Yeah, I had no problem taking away. They could have put a third eye in, but it would have just been a bit. Ironically, for an episode, I thought they threw too much in. I think that would have been adding mm. a bit too much. So they did just, there just the enough. The sea devils don't have. Um, uh, Third eye. Yeah, no. Silurians, or if you want to call them, yeah. have um, a third eye. So, no, um, yeah. yeah so. And to be honest, I call them aqua reptilia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Matt. That's a Barbie girl. My, my wife calls them string vestites. <laughs> like but, the, but the original, like the, string the original masks from the original story, they were rubbish. Mm. I mean, they did, they did a moat by wobbling. Just it's a great like, Silurians are one of the and classic liked, examples, them, but it's yeah. a nostalgia thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can I just... the, glow, the eye glowed, didn't it? In the yeah, 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 yeah. Got that, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bit yeah. well, yeah. of an admission is uh, probably on my own here. I really like the redesign of the Silurians in Warriors of the Deep. 
Sea devils are terrible. <laughs> but the soil. Throw in the sea devil. That's going to work really well on audio. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, periscopes fit in. But I, 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 I like them. Yeah, I, I maybe that, share that, view. that could be down to the Andrew Skeletor poster. He did a beautiful painting of that stuff. The worst thing about those, though, is they made them all look really chubby and unable to move. Mm. They've got body warmers on, haven't they? So, yeah. Yeah, I like the body warmers. Though. I don't mind the shell, well. but I don't understand the shell. That's like turning them into ice warriors. Mm, maybe it's a mask I like. I don't know. But the original Silurians are a classic example of a monster that looks wonderful in photographs, but as soon as you see it move, mm. you lose all... Yeah. Yes, sense yeah. of it as a real creature yeah. and this story relied on having sensible conversations mm. so there's no way that would have worked absolutely but mm. it falls it's the same as I mean actually it also tells you how good the original Sontaran mask is that that they've kept it as it is I mean it, it works really the time monster is so time warrior mm. god Mm. Time monster. The time <laughs> you, oh <laughs> you take that back, sir. The time warrior is so good, mm. and and the difference from the Silurians to the time warrior is is exceptional. There's really it made me realise how much of a sea change there was in prosthetics well, during the introduction during Pertwee. Well, it's John Friedlander, isn't it? Right. Yeah, or, or single-handedly John Friedlander. Yeah, as basically. mentioned earlier, the draconians. So yeah, draconians. Like yeah, yeah. Are very... yeah. Friedlander's first story was. The Mutants was his first creation. Did he not do Day of the Daleks? Did he not do the Ogrons as well? Mm, mate, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to work it out. Oh, I was yeah. thinking aloud. Oh, sorry. No, it's all right. I don't mean <laughs> yeah. stop thinking. I mean, give me earlier examples. But yeah, I'm trying to think what he did. But also, it probably means that you can't bring the Draconians back now because they're just so un... So similar to the Silurian space. space. I think he did the. Um, I think he did the alien. Oh, um, maybe. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Space. That was a pretty disastrous That's start. <laughs> and then he gets better later. I think you can bring the Draconians back in the same way as everybody said you can't have the Sontarans now when you had the Jadoon, and then the following year they brought the Sontarans, and they're so different from the Jadoon. Actually, mm-hmm. the similarities. Yeah, are but the phenomenal. But the Jadoon, the Jadoon were a new creation. And the Sontarans are identical to the old ones. So if you can bring, you might as well not bother bringing the Draconians back because you'd have to make them so much different from the originals. I think you do with the Oriental thing. I think if you keep the Oriental thing, it makes them different enough from the Silurians. I think you can, but I think obviously it depends on the stories. The the other thing about the, I suppose, about the Draconians is that when they brought the Ice Warriors back, they 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 played up massively more the whole um, honor. Yes. Um, mm. and sort of nobility type uh, aspect of the Ice Warriors which is kind of there in the yeah, first place but yeah. they, they really height, uh, heightened it this time mm. and that treads on the Draconian's feet a little yes, bit as well yeah. doesn't it so it's the other problem is the Draconians are quite a boring thing, <laughs> a boring thing they were really they were really they were really they were really noble <laughs> and, and a good you know it's great to have this this but Malcolm yeah, Ho- yeah, Malcolm yeah. Hulk other culture that we can all believe in but at the moment it's just the drama short stories yeah but to do the draconians I think what you'd have to do is have and this is what I've said a couple of times is that you can use Doctor Who to tell completely different types of stories to the kind of stories it normally tells with the draconian um I'm trying to think of his name. What's the Hitchcock film where Montgomery Cliff plays the priest who gets the confession and isn't 
so he knows who the murderer is, but he can't tell the police because it's a confession and it was taken in confidence. Um, oh God, it's a really famous film and it's been remade. And Man who knows too much. No. Um, uh, no, it doesn't matter what it's called. But the point is, that's a story about a character who is in an impossible situation on a point of honour. Now, you bring the Draconians back, what you have to do is tell a story about a character who's in an, in an impossible situation on a point of honour, yeah. and you make the fact that it's the Draconians and the fact that they have such an honour system mm. that is the central tenet of the story. Mm. So you tell a completely different kind of a story where there's no alien invasion, no, dr- there's draconian no incursion. being mistaken for a Silurian. Well, yeah. But you know what I mean? He's got a big sword and everything. You tell a story where, in the Curse of Peladon, I think there's a situation where Joe Grant is under threat because she's gone into a room that women aren't allowed to go into. So you the gents. <laughs> so you tell a story <laughs> set on Draconia, yeah. where a human being there, there are human beings there, and this is set before Frontier in Space, presumably. There are human beings there. They're here to draw up some kind of a treaty, make some kind of uh, pact. To basically, they're there as ambassadors, and one of them does something that essentially is an executionable offence on mm-hmm. Draconia. Mm-hmm. But back on Earth, is just second nature, and the Doctor turns up just as this person's getting sentenced to execution, and the story becomes a courtroom drama in the draconian legal system where the doctor has to try and find some way of talking the draconians around and of course the way he talks the draconians around is he finds some point in their law like in an isaac asimov three laws of robotics stories where he can use the draconians law against them which has to be something that comes logically out of the law that's caused this guy to be under sentence of execution a, a very 70s style story because you'd get instant saudi arabia parallels yeah, yeah, maybe so, but yeah. I mean... No, 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 that's a good thing. I mean, yeah. That's, that's a good thing. It's a story that Doctor Who could tell that no other series could probably tell in quite the same way. Well, obviously, in quite the same It's a bit Star Trek, but, the you humans know... Humans could have accidentally sent uh, a completely female um, negotiating uh, team, and, of course, females aren't allowed to speak in the presence of the... Mm. Um, nobility on Draconia. Yeah. Something as simple as that. Yeah, and then the Doctor be. finds a loophole in the law. Yeah. But it's a loophole that has to come logically out of the law so that the people watching at home don't think it's a, you know, deus ex machina ending out of nowhere. Or you could just rip off Shogun. Shogun? Yeah. Well, what happens? Well, it's a, it would be a human, wouldn't it, who lands on Draconia and he's got to kind of become one of the Draconians sort of thing. Oh, I see what you mean. The culture. Mm. It was a throwaway joke. In, in 42 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, right. Shall we, shall we give it a score? Or is there any other orders of business to bring up? We can score it. Okay. I think I've said everything I need to say. Actually, I brought up earlier that I had a problem with the direction, but I think we've pretty much covered that, actually, as we've gone on, haven't we? Yes. Oh, something's okay. amiss, isn't it? Something is definitely amiss. I think that second Yeah. Episode. It doesn't... This... Mm. The script is, to me, the script is more or less fine. It's problematic, but mm. it's more or less fine. But Ashley Way, the director, he, she, not sure. Off Torchwood. Uh, and Sarah Jane in Adventures, I think. Oh, possibly, yeah. uh, But I can't think of any other Doctor Who that 
Ashley. He, it's a him. He, okay. But uh, Ashley, uh, he's um, directed. But I may be wrong, because those two were a single block in season five themselves, weren't they? So, yeah, I think yeah. it's his only girl at it. But, um, yeah. Come on then, let's give yeah. it some scores. Ten. Out of? Ten. Ten. And we do integers, we don't do halves. All oh, right, okay. Um, I'll have to give it six. Okay, fair enough. Matt? I'll give it six as well. <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember what I scored. Amy's choice. I'm trying to. I'm trying to do it. We all gave Amy's of, choice a seven. Yeah, I didn't enjoy it as much as Amy's choice to so a six. Oh, yeah, that's made it difficult because I was going to say I'll give the first part an eight and the other part a six, bringing it to a seven. But you're right; it doesn't serve as much as Amy's choice. But I will. I'll give it a seven. Yeah, you see, actually, I've given it an eight before in the past because, in spite of the problems, I found it really enjoyable. And I'll always give things extra points for being enjoyable. But, yeah, no, I'm going to go a seven as well. I didn't laugh. That was my... No, that was but... my Amy's choice was <clears throat> saved because I laughed. I don't need to laugh. I just need to care. Mm. And I, mm. in spite of the problems, I did care. But, you know, there were just moments when you seem to be caring in spite of what the director was doing basically can I um can I make an admission about Amy's choice while you've mentioned you've it? never ever seen it no I, <laughs> you're very close to the truth there actually you um, were Amy's choice <laughs> I your wish. wife's called Amy and you were her choice um, you, no my wife's want... called my, my wife's called <clears throat> Sean so I'll just name check my uh, my good lady wife um, because she will be listening to on this. the um, <laughs> she definitely will. <clears throat> on the day that Amy's choice was first broadcast um, my DVD copy of uh, Creature from the Pit arrived through the post, and we were enjoying. So I know where this is going. We were enjoying watching it so much that at the end of it, we suddenly thought, "Oh, crap. we've um, we've forgotten to watch Amy's Choice." Wow. So it's the, it was the only episode of um, of. Series five. Series five, at least, that we never saw on its original broadcast. We had wow. to wait for the repeat on you, BBC Three. The you were day. enjoying watching Creature from the Pit. I love Creature from the Pit. What did you write about Creature from the Pit for you and who? No. Okay. <laughs> he wrote about Quatermass for you and who else? Oh, Quatermass. Excellent. <clears throat> right, Chris Chibnall. I don't think we'd go any further without having at least a short discussion about Chris Chibnall, showrunner, and all sorts of other things. Uh, I've said what I think, but does anybody think, having watched that today, that they've learned anything about him? No. It reinforces, <laughs> it reinforces what I expect. Um, I hope we don't lose some of these little gems, like your Midnight's and your uh, Science of the Libraries. And your Are you talking about the books. writer's room now? Somewhat, somewhat, yeah, because his stories are far more straightforward and far more... But I, I, I just think when he becomes showrunner, he's not going to produce a collection of the stories that he's written before. No, he's going no. to do. He'll he'll be smart enough to to you know spread it out and and mix it up. Plus, so, if you look at his history in television, mm. as opposed to just oh, in yeah. Doctor Who, mm. I think about Power Three. I mean, Power Three. I think is a really underrated. Episode, but you if you look at the way United worked, as opposed to the way Broadchurch worked, mm. as a way, as opposed to the way the Great Train Robbery worked, mm. they all work in completely different ways. Mm. Yeah, 
So he's not going to do Doctor Who stories that all work in the same way. No. And I'll just repeat it for the sake of it, but I think the one thing that you probably will see more of than you saw under RTD or under Stephen Moffat is that you'll get introduced to a bunch of characters who will have, you know, a status quo that will be ripped asunder at the start of the episode. And basically the story will be how it either repairs itself or not. That seems to be what I think I'm taking away from Chris Chibnall's writing. Mm. Um, <clears throat> right. There's actually some news that I think we might talk about for a change. We don't usually talk about news, but there are a couple of things that I wanted to... Covered current affairs at the start, so... Um, well, we don't... News? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, um, okay, before we get to the obvious one, but <coughs> the Radio Times, Stephen Moffat's favourite publication... <laughs> Today, <clears throat> actually, the BBC put out a press release, but as is the way of these things, everybody on Facebook and Twitter is linking either to the Radio Times write-up of the press release, or they're linking to Den of Geeks write-up of the Radio Times write-up of the BBC press release. Why does nobody ever just actually link back to the BBC, the source? Oh, but because it's usually biased, apparently, and every single program it makes is rubbish and is run by people who protect No, it's just a pet quibble of mine. Okay. (laughs) Apparently. That's not my view. I was being incredibly sarcastic there, by the way. Frank Cottrell-Boyce is back and doing the second episode of Series 2. Oh, good. Okay, right. Which Uh I think is great news. Because even if people didn't like In the Forest of the Night, Frank Cottrell-Boyce is entire canon is so much more diverse than that mm. i can't wait to see what else he's got up his sleeve for doctor who hopefully he hasn't listened to any of the criticism and he'll just do it anyway yeah exactly. that's my that's <clears throat> my view I, yeah so I, um, I rather enjoyed um in the in the, in the forest of the night yeah yeah, yeah. oh i adored it i thought it was one of the highlights it was i haven't seen it again since broadcast I, I i must admit but i um i i remember really enjoying it at the time it wasn't one of my favorites but it's one of those ones that make me realise how variable Doctor Who can be. Exactly. That's and actually, exactly well, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of... In its face. That's yeah. enough for me yeah. to make After me like Doctor Who. years, you're seeing yeah. something you've not yeah, seen yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, that's... Especially when we were talking about Let's and Dicks last week, it made me... It made me I said Dicks. I Is it because so, I said Dicks? And Let's. I only made a Dick joke s- once last I'm week. I'm so puerile. Apologies. I'm no, no, no. I sit in the corner and laugh into my tea. What was I saying? Uh, because we were talking about Let's and Dicks last night. Let's uh, take the hand week. out and let's just call them Let's Dicks. Let's talk about Dicks. <laughs> uh, we were talking about them last week. Just mix them together, Licks. Barry and Terence. Please. And I, I love that. I love that era. But it was just so safe and comfortable and standard and conventional. And actually, that's, for me, not great Doctor Who, but it's really comfortable Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And Doctor Who's supposed to be unpredictable and fractious and slightly... This is why I'm quite looking forward to Chris Chibnall coming in. Don't use that word in. "supposed to." Those words "supposed well, to." Well, I don't think it's supposed. I think to, in my as the capacity to my view, getting down the paradigm route. Then, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. my <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about the paradigm yet, but my view of the paradigm is there shouldn't be a paradigm. 
because oh don't doc- spoil the ending Doctor of Who's, the episode Doctor Who's paradigm is it doesn't have one that's the conclusion ex- that we've been working I'll towards expand, I'll expand on that I don't think you need to you've it. said it now but but that's my you're banned from that episode that's my point with Frank <laughs> I'm doing that episode with Lee Frank I was going to say oh, yeah, yeah. Lee doesn't even know what paradigm Lee actually makes the monkey that knows sign language look brilliant well he'll be talking about paradigms <laughs> but oh, that's quite cool sorry Lee he doesn't listen, does he? No. He'll be talking about paradigms. He will. Fra- but the point about Frank Cottrell Boyce is he is a really distinctive voice and he's done something really, really fresh. A voice voice. A voice voice. But the fact that people don't... half the, Doctor Who seems to be at its best when half the people don't like it and half the people do. Absolutely. That's because at least they're right. talking about it and that's what sets Twitter and Facebook buzzing, at least mm. with fans. Mm. I don't know about normal people. But the fans, it's those stories that make them argue, which are, for me, what it should be doing. Mm-hmm. I think we're in danger when Doctor Who starts making <clears throat> stories that all the fans just go, yeah, that was all right. Okay, that was supposed to be just a 30-second news segment. Okay. <laughs> this well, is not going well. Sarah Face the Raven Dollard is also coming back. Really? Yeah. I like Face the Raven, so I that's liked, good. I loved Face the Raven. Yeah. And my, and my friend Caroline Bolton was in it as well. Oh, so right. Wow. Well. Yeah. Okay. Well, carry on. <laughs> no, she was the. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, two she of my was, friends were in there. Uh, actually, she was the. What's um, saying that? <laughs> what's it? The the Habrian woman. One of the one of the the wow. characters towards the end that gets uh, has a sort of brief soundbite um, talking. Okay. Uh, they, were, they were being interviewed. Uh, right. The residents of the of the, of the alleyway. Oh um, wow! So uh, although I haven't checked the D- the DVD actually, but um, she recorded a, an awful lot more than was used in the episode. So uh, oh, I need to check. She got her, edited. Uh, she did indeed. Yeah, they all but, would have so, been, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah. Too. So uh, no, I love that episode. Right, two other writers are confirmed. One is Mark Gatiss. Good. Obviously. The mm-hmm. se- is it the sequel to Sleep No More? Well, who knows? But right. you can only presume because in a writers' room situation. Writers with established careers are not going to be in a writer's room. But it won't, that won't be for next season, will it? But that's It'll what I'm saying. This one could potentially be Mark Gatiss's last ever Doctor Who. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. I thought the same thing. Yeah. Unless so, they do what you were suggesting they do and they have writer's, writer's room. room. For, yeah, yeah. And notable writers. I, I think this is probably getting towards Mark Gatiss's end because he's tied in with Stephen Moffat so closely mm. that it would seem to be a sensible... Yeah, a sensible way of of moving on to mate, Hollywood. And let's face it, when Stephen Moffat came in, he has used writers that have written for Russell T Davis. Mm. But other than Mark Gatiss, I suppose, who actually only wrote two episodes for Russell T Davis, he didn't use any of the regulars. No, such as the regulars were. And I don't suppose Chris Chibnall will use the Moffat regulars. He'll use some of the same writers, undoubtedly. Yeah. But they won't be ones that are sort of handcuffed to Stephen Moffat, I wouldn't mm-hmm. um, And the other writer who's confirmed for it is Mike Bartlett, who's not done Doctor Who or anything to do with Doctor Who, but he has done something called Doctor Foster, oh, yeah. which would be why he got it, because it also uh-huh. starts with the word Doctor. Hmm. I didn't watch that. Don't but they? I think I've seen something he's written. I think I recognise it. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. wife loved it. Yeah, mm. my... my... <clears throat> my in-laws I think were, were very keen on it but I, I only watched bits of it myself I didn't watch that it was on at the same time as an, uh, an adaptation of Phil Rickman's Midwinter of the Spirit 
which I'm a big fan of Phil Rickman, so I was watching that, and it got completely stomped on by Dr. Foster. Dr. So Foster not making very popular, series. wasn't it? So I'm a bit disgruntled by Dr. Foster, but I'm sure it's very good. But Well, that's it, the right kind of disgruntlement if the guy's yeah. going to go on and write an oh, episode well, of Dr. Who. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Um, the big news, of course, is Matt Lucas is coming back as Nardole from The Husbands of River Song. Um... I can only assume that this is A, going to have to take place after the Husbands of River Song, but B, he's not going to still be inside a big robot suit with three other heads or whatever. Unless so it's a new version of K-9. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what they're going to do, but yeah. I kind of have to assume that they'll give him a robot body and it'll be his head on his own robot body, but the robot body will be indistinguishable from a human body. I think they might just gloss over it. Yeah, I think they probably cast Matt... They got Matt Lucas because it's a real catch, and then just thought, oh, we'll just work it out. It's fine. Stephen Moffat's quote, I don't have it in front of me, but was along the lines of... He's coming back in episode one. Mm Mm-hmm. And Stephen Moffat's quote was something along the lines of Matt Lucas is not just for Christmas, this time he'll be sticking around. Which people have taken to mean that either he's going to be the companion through the series, or at least for part of the series, or other people have taken that to mean he'll be recurring throughout the series, which is not what sticking around means to me. So he's going to be in the first episode and the second and some more consecutively thereafter. Yeah is what I take away from that quote. It definitely didn't indicate that he was a... Because the comments I've been reading were, Matt Lucas is a companion and comparing him with Catherine Tate. But mm. actually, actually, the statement didn't say... He's a companion. I mean, they yeah. very, very explicitly introduced the new companion as the new companion. Matt Lucas is... I think they called him a regular... Well, Maybe they just any, said he's he'll be sticking around. Could be, um, he could be a head in a box in the TARDIS, like that's uh, true. Uh, that's true. Absolutely, that's true. Was for a while. Mm. Yeah, so, that, yeah. In which case, he will, just, he will just be there for 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 comedy uh, for co- comedy moments, just to start and end of each episode. Yeah, something like make that. a make a comment from a box at the side or something. And, and that, and that, but the that, two just, big takeaways I have from this are one. This looks to me like Stephen Moffat is very much taking Doctor Who back down to a children's audience after two fairly grown-up, fairly involved series. Mm. And two, not just more for children, but more for comic value. It looks like Stephen Moffat's going to just do a fun romp of a series before he goes. Yeah. Because he's done, apart from series seven, five, six, eight and nine were all very involved and seven was much lighter it was the movie of the week one Mm. and i've said before that i think series 10 is going to be more like series seven with something along the lines of the movie of the week concept this looks to me like that but skewed more towards kids and more towards comedy and if that's the case i'm sure a lot of doctor who fans will be up in arms but we all know that that's not going to continue forever because Stephen Moffat will be gone at the end of the year. I think potentially that could be something that's going to be tremendous fun. I, well, I wonder if they'll start the season. I think they've got, they'll have to, because it's likely to be, well, it'll build to a pretty massive climax because that's the way Stephen Moffat will go. And we're expecting 
Capaldi to leave at the same time, potentially. But probably and in the Christmas special. So if he does, but yeah. then I suspect it will start quite light, but then build up and get darker towards the end. In then... exactly the same way as all four of Russell T. Davis's series did. Yeah. Because yeah. they all started with a romp episode mm. and ended yeah. up on a huge, yeah. big, dramatic whether episode. Whether that can be... Whether we can... Unravel I... the tone based on Matt Lucas is another question. I don't know whether I haven't seen him do a straight acting role yet. He was fairly straight in Casanova. He wasn't in it much, and he was playing a comedy character. Yeah, yeah. but he was playing yeah. a comedy character and, straight. And again, Midsummer Night's Dream, he was playing bottom. Mm. So that's a comedy yeah, yeah, character. Yeah. So I'd be quite interested to see them try and try and you know or not ex- extend his maybe. acting or not. But mm-hmm. the other thing is, type. we know that. Pearl Mackey's character, Bill, is coming from contemporary Earth, but we also know that Nardole's an alien and he doesn't live on contemporary Earth. So either he's going to fall to Earth in some way, or else the Doctor's going to grab her and go off to outer space for does an that adventure. Does that mean more River Song as well? Is that connection? I don't know if it does, because that robot wasn't anything to do with her. The character was to do with her before he became the robot. Yeah, he ended up on the well, she she was married to the robot, but that was all dissolved by the end of the episode. Well, it says that they say that he appears in the first episode, but that could be right at the end of the first episode as a kind of a it could be a teaser. Yes, <clears throat> so it doesn't necessarily have to revolve around them. No, that's him. true. That's also true. I, I also, uh, I think as far as the uh, regeneration, if it's going to come to that, I think Stephen Moffat's going to do something that's never been done before. I think as his passing gesture will do something really quite odd. But yeah, okay. I love hunch. the robot. Why not? Yeah, mm. we'll see. This is all to come, and we're speculating around two words, which is somebody's yes. name. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, very briefly. I, mean, I just say in Lee's. Go on. Yeah. In, seeing as Lee's not here to speak for himself, he thinks Matt Luke is a terrible idea. Stop <laughs> well, Lee's wrong. Yeah. Who cares what Lee thinks? Game. He's not here. <laughs> he's not here. He's it's, not listening. He's. It's he doesn't too, care. Uh, yeah. He's representation for the people who do think it's a bad idea. Yeah, they're wrong. And they were wrong about <laughs> Catherine Tate as well. So yeah. And they were wrong about Billy Piper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, in the last two or three weeks, I have had a ton of people recommend that I listen to the West Wing Weekly podcast. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And uh, so I downloaded the entire lot on Friday. It's now Tuesday, and I've listened through the entire lot. Oh, it's a bit stiff at the start. Yeah. But as soon as the two guys who are presenting it loosen up a bit, it's mm. fantastic. Yeah. So it is um, really good, and also obviously one of the guys presenting it is an actor from the series, yes, later, Josh Molina, and he's well connected, and he's friends with Aaron Sorkin, mm. so he can get actors from it. So it's not a fan; it's a half fan podcast, but also it's, it's kind of a, basically the official West Wing yeah, podcast. Yeah. In so essence. you've got you've got Richard Schiff on a that really a great really episode. good episode with Richard Schiff on it, and that was about my favorite episode yeah. of the West Wing yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah, many people's yeah. favourite episode yes. of the West Wing. Yeah, so I just thought I would rather than email all these people back and say thanks for your recommendation. I thought I'd save myself a bit of time by just doing it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but on that subject, uh, because I've done this before and because I haven't done it for a while, I just thought I'd very quickly talk about some of the other podcasts that I do like currently, and I'm currently listening through the back catalogue of. And, uh, I mean, does anybody else want to throw in a few names of podcasts that they like and listen to? It's an obvious one. Most people have probably listened to it anyway, but Adam Buxton's is just amazing. 
and it's completely up my street. I'm so well, you better say what it's called and what it's about. What's the Adam, the Adam Buxton podcast? Essentially, Adam Buxton who used to be one half of Adam and Joe, and essentially each week he has a different guest or someone, and it's very relaxed, but it's beautifully edited. It's together. a conversation, conversational, yeah. And he just does, does amazing jingles, is his sense of humor all the way through, but it's incredibly personal as well, which is what I really love. Oh, so, so I, 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 you know, so, if you liked Adam and Joe's uh, sense of humour, some great guests in there, um, film directors, Caitlin Moran, uh, who else has he had on there? Um, oh God, you know me, I'm terrible with names. But okay, let's move on to Matt. So yes. it's, all on sound, it's all on SoundCloud for free listening. So. I've, got a, I've got a fairly standard list of podcasts that I listen to throughout the week. So I listen to the Empire podcast, which is films, which is good. It's a good podcast. Um, but also to balance that, for another podcast, I listen to the Mayo and Kermode podcast, the Five Live podcast. Um, I also listen to lots of Doctor Who ones. I mean, the standard Doctor Who ones I listen to. Radio so, Free Sky Radio Road, Free Sky Road, Verity, Verity yeah. the Writer's um, Room. Yeah, the Writer's Room. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Pex Lives. I've been listening to a, a few. Um, I've been listening back to Bin Rover's Right, that podcast which is a really nice sort of tight collection of podcasts. Because mm. it stopped after about seven episodes. Yeah, but really good seven episodes. Yeah. yeah. Tim, do you listen to podcasts? Um, I listen to Toby Haydix, Who's Round. Um, yeah. But that's about it uh, uh, at the moment. Um, I, I have dabbled uh, here and there before, but I've, I've not listened I've not listened widely for uh, quite a while now. I just haven't had the time, unfortunately. Fair enough. Well, the ones I've kind of discovered, if discovered's the word, very quickly then, On the Time Lash, which is two Scottish guys, but in London, and they're, well, the idea of the podcast is two Scottish guys in a pub talking about Doctor Who, except mostly they do it at home, because in a pub means there's too much noise going on in the background. They always tie in the drinks that they're drinking, and the pub that they're nominally listening to, to the stories they're talking about. They've been going through the new series in order from the start and each episode they've done a new series episode and they found an old series episode to connect it to and they've kind of reviewed both Mm. and it's thoughtful and it's intelligent and that's the kind of thing i like flight through entirety which is the campus podcast (laughs) under the sun which is three excessively camp australian guys go through the series in order season by season at the start and now story by story Tremendous fun and also thoughtful and intelligent. Never cruel or cowardly. Only three episodes of this so far, but they are promising that they're going to start it up again <laughs> soon. Again, it's two guys just sitting down and having a conversation. And again, it's thoughtful conversation. And I'll explain later, which is three guys. And each week they choose three stories, one new series, two old series that have some kind of a connection, which might be take place in caves or takes place underwater, something like that. And they'll review the three stories. And the thing that connects all these podcasts that I've been listening to lately is that none of them will criticise something without being able to state properly reasons why. Mm. And all this kind of stuff. None of them are just hack jobs where they'll either say, oh, this is brilliant and not say why. Did you like it? this is shite and not explain why. Mm. These are proper people who actually understand stories proper people these are people who properly understand (laughs) storytelling Mm. and talk about the 
stories that they're talking about yeah, from yeah. the perspective of storytelling. And that's what I really like. And that's why I've been on these. Shall we do David Kitchen's email and then get out of it? Okay. Right, David Kitchen, as everybody who's been listening regularly will know, we had this conversation that started up about death in heaven and it developed into a conversation about how you watch Doctor Who and and why Doctor Who doesn't work sometimes, not necessarily because it doesn't work, but because of the way you're watching it. And, you know, vice versa, sometimes you're prepared to give Doctor Who stories that underperform uh, more time because you're enjoying them. And so, again, that's through the way you're watching it. And we kind of had a conversation where we got on to talking about the little introductory clip for Pearl Mackey. And we talked about some stuff. He'd been on a guest on a recent 42 to Doomsday. So I'm not going to go through the stuff that he said about that because it was a private conversation. But he did say, I guess that this leads to a debate on the role of a podcast and podcasters, which I thought was an interesting thing to bring Mm -hmm. up. Didn't know I had one. He says, well, yeah, but a lot of people listen to podcasts and it kind of informs their own opinions and views. And even if it doesn't tell them what to think, it Mm. kind of leads people into different ways of thinking about things. Mm. David says, is the role of podcasters simply to give a personal reaction or is it to mix that personal reaction with a broader contextual debate? And I, and I was thinking about what the Blue Box podcast does. And I suppose what we does comes out of, because I'm kind what of presenting it. What <laughs> we do kind of, yeah, it's getting late. Sorry, I couldn't help it. And Sorry. we are in Devon. Yeah. But I mean, because I'm the person who's kind of the main presenter, I suppose, what we do kind of comes out of the way that I like us to sort of, because I lead the conversation, I suppose. And my... I've always said that my criteria for enjoying, not necessarily enjoying, but appreciating something is to try and engage with it on its terms rather than to engage with it on the terms that you want it to engage with you on. So I suppose in those terms, the broader contextual debate is what informs how I watch something. Mm. And I suppose that's what informs how we talk about it on the Blue Box podcast. I think for me... For me, the least interesting thing you can hear is somebody say whether they whether they think something's good or not, or bad or not. But you want to understand you want to, why. You yeah. want to hear about why it's interesting, mm. and whether it's good or bad, it's always there's always something interesting mm. to talk about. I mean, you could do a podcast on Teletubbies mm. and still talk for an hour and make it interesting. It's a, the trick is to find out what interesting things are underneath, and I mm. think that's the that's what good podcasts do mm. i think mm. what's the as to the role of a podcast i mean the joy of podcasts is they have they've got a whole mixture of roles yeah i think i think what and you just abandon the ones that don't suit your yeah yeah, yeah. Suit your own so yeah. there are certain tabloid tabloidish doctor who podcasts out there that I listened to and started raising my blood pressure so I just stopped listening yeah yeah but it does point. actually the the adverse effects of that means I do listen to podcasts that I agree with quite a lot and that does keep you down funneling you down the route so sometimes I do purposefully listen to some of these podcasts well, I'd say I the ones mm-hmm. I've mentioned on the yeah. uh, not on the time lash I'll explain later I disagree with more often than not but I like the yeah. way they put their points yes yeah so you know that's yeah um, he goes on and starts talking about the writer's room. He says, 
Oh, he, I'm coming back into the email, so I'm finding my point. He says, I think there's a valid argument that a fresh showrunner would benefit the show at this point, that being just the nature of television. Mm. And on that note, a very interesting discussion on the Blue Box podcast recently was about the writer's room concept. <clears throat> Ironically, he says, I'm clearly even more excited about that idea than you guys were. Writers' rooms, when done well, can ensure a really good balance between consistent tone across a series while still allowing for the style of individual writers to shine through. Joss Whedon ran one on Buffy, and he was clearly still the showrunner and set the course, but was supported by a great team. And listening to the West Wing podcast, you've got exactly the same thing going on there. He says, however, you can still pick a Marty Noxon or Jane Espenson episode because their styles come through. Next Generation was another great example where one person could pitch an idea which was allocated to the best writer to expand it into a first draft and as a result some really bizarre original thought bubbles turned into classic episodes, Best of Both Worlds being a standout example. Most importantly though, a writer's room has never on these US shows, notably The Simpsons, prevented outside writers pitching stories cold and having them accepted. Indeed, often if a writer's episode was good, they'd be offered a contract to join the writer's room longer term. As a recent example, The Flash runs a writer's room, but still contracted Zack Stentz to write a one-off episode as a guest writer, during which time he worked with the writer's room to ensure his script fitted into the arc and tone of the season. But his script was his own. Kevin Smith was also brought in as a one-off director for the episode. So personally, says David, I'm a big fan of the writer's room system over the showrunner system. I've often thought many of the problems with the latter seasons of Babylon 5, for example, would have been better had JMS had a proper script support team to polish or call out his weaker ideas. So what is that? That's David Kitchen. What he's actually saying is, because a lot of of people have been calling out for the old model of script editor and producer, producer, script editor, instead of a showrunner and what a writer's room could potentially be according to him is to, to Chris Chibnall as the producer and yeah. the writer's room as a as script a sort editor as a extended script editor yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, which would be I mean and then what you can do is if somebody like let's say Peter Harness mm. who you know has such a back catalogue he's not going to be in a writer's room no. but if you want a script by Peter Harness you bring him in introduce him to the writer's room yeah. he talks through First and foremost, he talks through it with Chris Chibnall, and Chris Chibnall says, yeah, I like that story. Now go into the writer's room where they'll let you know enough about the rest of the things that are going on that you can make it fit into the series. Yeah, And so potentially you get a situation where that happens. And actually, writers like Peter Harness might quite like a writer's room because they've, they've spent their careers writing in a very solitary fashion. Mm. And this is a sort of quite a nice... Nice change, I guess. And it's, it's probably not necessarily an insult to. No, to I think the concern is that their ideas get diluted, which, yeah. you know. Yeah, but so long as they always have the sort of. Well, as long as they know that they're writing for the best of the draft. series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'll always have a presence in each draft as well, so they can they can ensure that their voice stays. It's interesting, the actually. It's just made me think. Uh, I appreciate that letter from David, actually, sort of explaining a lot of that to me, because, you know, I didn't completely understand the process well this is um, why I thought it was worth still bringing it up yeah. even though it was a private email <laughs> <laughs> series that me and the wife you know every now and again I don't know if other people in the same situation where you find a series that you can both sit down and watch together and you pounce on it because there is something you can watch together Hollyoaks really? no I'm kidding good I see um, Hollyoaks though Hollyoaks is better than you think but it, it is prob- it's better than it was but it's 
very um, lurid. I uh, always relate that to a televisual hangover because I was always hungover when it came on and it used to make me feel even worse. I know, Hollyoaks is a, a televisual come on, come drug on experience. No, the omnibus on a Sunday when you'd, yeah, yeah. you'd spend the morning drinking, <laughs> <laughs> the afternoon drunk, and then gradually yeah, Sunday mornings the omnibus okay. would come on and oh, just, right, okay. just despair at the human race. But anyway, yes. um, no, but we're watching the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, catching up on it because it's in its second season now on Netflix, and it the first series is just storming, so funny, completely on my I'm, street. I'm, I, I watch too many obscure Hungarian movies at the moment yeah. to be able to watch TV. I'm, I'm missing so much TV. But, but what I was going to say was that is obviously that is obviously a writer's room situation because I, I yeah. believe the two head writers were writers on Friends, which I think was patchy. Mm. It's incredibly successful for me. It was, but this actually in the second season, the, the, it does undulate in in texture. So it's no it's no guarantee of consistency of a well, Doctor type. Who's bound to undulate in texture purely because it's going to be set in a different place each week. Mm, mm. I think you could probably, as long as you are doing that past, future, alien, Earth sort of thing, you could probably write really sort of generic Doctor Who one week after another and it would still feel different. Mm. Not that I'm recommending that that's what they should do, yeah. but you know what I mean? They could mm. do that and you'd still get the variety. I'll just say, Kimmy Schmidt, if you do like the fast-paced Moffat funny lines... Then I'm about to go back Schmidt. and start rewatching The West Wing from scratch, I think, in whatever moments I can find, <laughs> thanks to that podcast. I've watched it far too much, but I'm, yeah. And then much. I'll be able to go on Mark's podcast, Nerdology, and talk about it <laughs> with Dog. Um, i got two film reviews. I can leave them for next time. We'll do them really quickly. With Dog? Who wants to go on the Nerdology podcast and talk about The West Wing with me? Doc Hume? Yes. I've, I've got my place on that podcast as well. Oh, with been... the West Wing? Yeah. Yeah, okay, the three of us. Okay. I tell you what, if we forget just, Mark, yeah, yeah. we'll Come just on. put it out as a nerdology and forget <laughs> Mark. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, and okay. Just go in there and talk about <laughs> comics again. <laughs> yeah, you can sod off. <laughs> Tim, if you were to go on a podcast talking about something other than Doctor Who, what would you talk about? Um, at the moment... Babies, no. Um, <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. I'm uh, sure Mark would do that. He yeah. did one about yeah. the subject of babies. Um, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else is in my life at the moment apart from Quatermass. babies and um, Doctor Who. Quatermass uh, or Blake Seven or Hi- Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They tend to be my three sort of big... Was it the Quatermass? Was it the John Mills Quatermass you wrote about? Or was it the... It was Quatermass 2. Quatermass 2. Oh, yes. wow. Ooh. Yes. Um, yeah, he's about. You're about fifth or sixth person in that book, aren't in, you? Yeah, I think so. Wow. Yeah, very much in support of John Robinson, who gets uh, gets quite a tough, tough uh, time from critics. I think he's the American. Wasn't no, he? no, or is that the no, film no, version? Brian Brian Don Levy. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah no, John John Robinson stepped into Quasimodo two at relatively short notice because um, Andre Morel. No, he was in Quasimodo in the Pit. Uh, it was oh, the guy's name who played him in the Quasimodo yeah. experiment. All I can say is thank God died. you're not on a Quasimodo podcast at yeah. this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he he died and, uh, and not so that John I don't Robinson do this all the time. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so hmm. otherwise known as Inferno. 
Quite Mass 2. Quite as far as I can remember. Oh, bits of Spearhead from Space. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, bits, mm. bits nicked, bits, bits nicked all over the place. Actually, the the, the film. The film version has an entire scene that's identical to Spirit from Space. It does. The, the, in the, the scene in the, in the, in the, the tracking, tracking room, yeah. yeah. Framed and, and yeah. set up and performed in exactly the same way. Yeah. Sorry, carry on, Jay. Two film reviews I am going to oh, do, okay. because they fit in with something we're talking about. Frank Cultural Boys, Butterfly Kiss from 95, 6, 7. It's just been reissued on DVD. Uh, written by Frank Cultural Boys, directed by... Um, Michael Winterbottom, one of his very early films. In fact, I think it was his breakthrough film. It's kind of in the aftermath of things like California and Thelma and Louise and just slightly before Natural Born Killers. And it's two northern girls in a car on the road killing people. But it's not remotely at all like that sounds. And it's actually much more of a... Because what they're doing here is because they're both at the starts of their careers... They're doing something quite shocking to uh, sell it to an audience. But what they're actually talking about is things like mental health. And it's got quite a poetic and quite moving ending. It's a good film. It's a bit opaque in places. There's a lot of it where you're kind of staring at the screen thinking, oh, wow, these guys are just writing and directing something to get a bit of, to draw a bit of attention to themselves. So it doesn't entirely work, but the bits that do work are fantastic. And it's a decent film. And if you're at all interested in the careers of either of those two people, it's worth going out, picking up the DVD. The other one I'm going to review is going to be very brief. It's called Captive. It's a really cheap Irish film. Uh, The setup is 12 people in a room, 24 hours. There's a virus they've all been infected with. And one by one, they're going to die. And the last one standing is the winner of whatever this thing is. And at the end of the film, you get the twist as to what this thing is, which completely undermines the reason for these people being in the room and completely undermines the people that they've chosen as well. The ending undermines everything. But the worst thing about this film is that it is so cluelessly written and directed. Everything about the film feels unnatural. Nothing follows on, either in the characters, in the plot, or in the way it's directed. There's things like a crash zoom onto a character in the middle of a really innocuous sentence where he's not saying anything of any import for no other reason that the director suddenly obviously felt the need to do a crash zoom. But because he didn't feel the need to do the crash film as they were making the film, it's a digital crash zoom into a really pixelated, blurry picture of this character's face delivering the dialogue. It is full of stuff like that. These people have been thrown into this room and told there's a reason they're there. They've got 24 hours to live. And 22 hours later, when only three of them are alive, they decide to start investigating the reason they've gone into the room. It's appalling. That's as much as needs to be said about that. <laughs> you just wow. reminded me on that Adam Buxton podcast. If you want to just check out one episode, there's a really good one with Joe Cornish, because obviously they're reunited. Joe mm. Cornish off the back of Attack the Block and the work he's done on Tintin and yeah. that stuff. But he, he says about one, I kind of feel it's a piece of advice he got given, but after he made that film, he said, one thing I've realised now, after having all those years of criticising films and being really opinionated... How difficult it is. He, he said, he said not only is it really hard to make a great film, he said it's really hard to make a shit film as well. Mm. 
Nice. But you can do it. Look at things like El Mariachi. Mm, mm. And, you know, on this one, they just really couldn't. You know, I, I, I will go and look at cheap films. I raved about um, Darkest Day, mm. the zombie film, which was cheap as chips, made for a couple of grand on a student budget. But it was a great film. This film is not a great film. Have you seen The Blockhouse? It's an no. old Peter Sellers film. Oh, it, no, it I don't think I have. It springs to mind just because it's, um, it was apparently based on a true story, but it's a group... <coughs> Sorry, my voice went somewhere else then. It's a group of um, prisoners of war, I think, uh, who are... Um, there's an attack on the on, uh, where, where they are, um, and they get buried underground. But it's like in the cellar of the um, yeah. of the of the mansion or something. So they've got lots of supplies around them. But it, um, and I believe uh, there were a couple of survivors that they made that they dug out at the end of the war. But it's this the the the, the cellar's film has got Peter Vaughan and, and some a wonderful wonderful cast in it. But it's uh, it's largely about them and their relationships as they exist in this very enclosed space wow. and the fact that they've got access to wine and, and, and rich foods and stuff. And so they, of course, they gorge out on it and then they suddenly realise that's the last candle. Mm. So then they have to spend the next sort of three years in in the dark and, and stuff. And as you know, there's a lot of, of for, for the time, very challenging relationships going on as well. Variations on 12 Angry Men. In other words, you stick 12 people in a room, and obviously it's not the same story, but stick 12 people in a room and watch them change each other, basically. Mm. But, mm. Um, yeah, so I'd certainly recommend, I'd, I'd recommend The Blockhouse to, um, to, to to people if they find a copy of it uh, anywhere. It's not it's not a very well-known Sellers film, um, and it's certainly atypical of a lot of what we get to see of Peter Sellers. My favourite Sellers film, other than the ones he did with Stanley Kubrick, is only two can play. Which is a Kingsley Amis adaptation, but it takes all the. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't take all of it, but it takes a lot of the satire out of Kingsley Amis, but leaves just enough in that it actually is a really delightful film. I'm very standard. I go with the Lady Killers. Yeah, yeah. It's such mm. a good, it's such a good film. Oh, go on then, Simon. You've got to nominate a favourite Sellers now. Oh God, I can't even think. All right, we'll leave it. <laughs> Simon can't think. It's time. No, to I love the Lady Killers yeah. as well. Yeah. Should we call it an eye then? Oh, can I just say, I went to see Kung Fu Panda 3 with my daughter at a cinema matinee thing, completely expecting it to be your typical watered-down sequel. And I thought it's great. And I'm going to buy the trilogy now. Because <laughs> the first one is bloody brilliant. A stunning film. The middle one then, not so good? It's okay. Yeah, okay. Treading water a little bit, but watchable. But yeah, yeah, yeah. really great film. It's Kung Fu Panda, if you've never seen it. Right, I think we've covered some ground on this podcast mm, now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's call it a night. Um, next week, uh, we are doing season 26, I believe. Yeah, season 26 we'll be doing next week. Oh, well, unless things go awry again, as they so often do, but that's the plan. But until then... I was Matt. I was Simon. I was Tim. And I was JR, and we'll speak again soon.
So, what did you think of that then, Tim? Um, I thought it was great fun. I just hope what I contributed was um, not going to be cut out in the adequate. edit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't worry. I'll take the scissors to we're this. We're all inadequate. That's why we're here. Well, you and Lee are. That's why you're there. Okay, thanks. I did wonder. <gasps> but you didn't include me. I know, but you're a more recent addition, so you're oh, just okay. sort of partially adequate, working okay, your way towards okay. inadequate. Do you mean so? Well, but the, the one constant factor is you. So, do you increase it, our inadequacy? I you go, in- are you an ad- <laughs> do you suck as dry of inadequacy? Well, I have to increase in super adequacy to make up for the rest of you, don't I? I don't. I don't know about. There that. has to be a balance. There has to be a balance. Yeah. Otherwise, things break down, and the podcast is still going strong. Two hundred episodes later, so it has to be because I'm just so bloody good at what I do. One day, Jay will fall asleep at the beginning of the podcast, and we'll see if we can actually sustain the podcast <laughs> whilst he's just gently snoring in the corner. It's the thing we just walks out the room until you yes. get on with it. One yeah. day, actually, we'll do a blue box podcast that I'm not here for. Yeah. Who, if I don't turn up for a Blue Box podcast one week, mm. who's going to be the host guy? Well. Could <laughs> Lee, you do it? I know, I think Lee should. Lee should introduce topics and then not talk about them. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best thing Lee could do. Yeah. It will sound like radio if Lee does it. Oh, radio with picture quizzes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tim's laughing. Lead wanted a picture quiz on a radio show. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Pointed people to a website. That was all it was. It was on the pictures on Facebook. So have your questions. Oh, ridiculous. You've enjoyed yourself. Thank I you. have. I've had a great time. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. I, re- I really do appreciate it. Well, that's okay. We won't be inviting you back. No, no. Fair yeah. enough. I've had my moment. You told, <laughs> you told him he's not getting that's, paid. Yeah. Do you know you're not getting paid? Oh, I assumed I wasn't getting paid. Oh, well, that's, oh, okay. that's okay. You only get paid. For you only get paid for special services after the podcast. And that's, actually, what, that's what JR's rule is. Lee's been paid not to be here. This is why I don't get into a car with JR anymore. <laughs> Enjoy the trip home. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to say something then, but now it's completely gone out of my head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but then most of the things I was going to say tonight have completely gone out of my head. Are you going to stop? Oh, rec- are you Matt, going to stop recording? Matt, someone? did you? Um, no, I was going to stick this. Did you on listen after. to yeah, the fun? Did you listen to the talent tape? Yes, audios? I listened to the tape. I really liked them. Yeah. Did you like? Them? Yeah, we were talking about this rubbish uh, podcast. Uh, you just like them. Um, I'm not listening part of the podcast anymore. So. No, I know. That. I'm not I'm a fan. I'm not a massive fan of Catherine Tate and David Tennant together. So I, I didn't have that hunger to hear them reunited. Mm. But they work really well on the podcast, and they've got really good energy. And the stories were interesting. I, I like the first uh, techno technophobia. I like that one and uh, the third one because you listened to Death and the Queen. Yeah, Death I, and I the listened Queen. to them last week as well. Yeah, so, um, that was a good one for the first time. And I, like I really, them? I really um, wanted. I, I, did do you want to finish? I really wanted <laughs> to like Jenny Colgan's mm. story, <coughs> and I did, but not as much as the other two. But I like that one's Jenny probably Colgan's the one with. Them. The most going on, yeah, and also the most needed on. visuals. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it was a brave, inventive, mm. big story, but for me, the third was the most satisfying. So That's the one I enjoyed the most was Death and the Queen. Mm. Uh, Technophobia was was okay. I, I kind of I enjoyed it um, in the way that I 
tended to enjoy sort of opening stories in Russell T. Davis yeah. seasons. Yeah. So it was kind of fitting the mould that way. Um, it wasn't brilliant, but I thought that's, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy listening to that. The, yeah, Time Reaver, um, I really, I like you said, I really wanted to like it a lot more than I did. Didn't hate it, mm. but I wanted to like it more. And I just loved Death and the Queen. I thought it was, uh, it was quite wonderful. So um, still, um, yeah, it was the only one of those box sets like that that I haven't liked that much so far is the Sixth Doctor's Final Adventure. Oh, right. Okay. Which I just didn't, I just didn't enjoy. How many have you got? Have you got a I think I've got I think I've got all of the ones that have come out like that. So I've got, the, I've got the novel, they've got oh, yeah. the novel adaptations. Right. I've got World of Doctor Who, which I haven't listened to yet. Right. And uh, and and uh, and that one. Um, but the sixth Doctor's final adventure, I just didn't. I, I thought it was a really um, badly judged collection of disparate elements, mm. all centered around the Valyard for some reason, and not around. The Sixth Doctor, mm. who it should have been mm. set, set mm. around. The, the Valiard's <coughs> driving the whole thing the whole way through, mm. and I'm sitting, I'm, I'm walking to work, listening to it, thinking, but I want the Doctor to be proactive in this. I yeah. want him to be driving it forward. Mm. Mel in the in the last one was just woefully underused. She was hardly in it. And I thought this is this is the this is Colin and Bonnie's sort of this is their final hurrah final hurrah yeah exactly mm, mm. where's the hurrah there's no hurrah there at all were you saying this out loud as you were walking I along I was to very careful views? not to be talking <laughs> yeah Matt doesn't realise this but on those mornings when he used to bump into me outside his house the reason I knew he was coming was because he was talking aloud to the podcast as he was coming it. around the corner no I did do that <laughs> I, actually, I actually did when I was on my own and I knew I was on my own I was going F's sake, JR, stop talking. <laughs> Let somebody else get a word in edgeways. No, JR, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong about Ice Warriors. That sort of thing. Okay, right. I am definitely calling it a night now. Let's get home. Tim, I will be inviting you back. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Oh, I'd be more than happy to uh, to come back. Well, that was a bit too effusive, so it might not happen for a while. <laughs> okay, <go on. laughs>